0: Uh, feature the superheroes joining forces to fight Ultron. Uh, But Captain America soon points out that um, about their their way of fighting could become just as dangerous as the enemy that they are opposing. So it's a familiar story. The people who are supposed to lead the rescue operation are just as susceptible to the evil they're fighting. And today we're going to see this storyline in Genesis um, which includes the most important of all rescue missions which also includes you and me. So uh, if you remember not that long ago, uh, Pastor Dave preached through a a series called Genesis Beginnings. And uh, this uh, basically covered chapters 1 through 11 in the book of Genesis. And uh, if you remember, Pastor Dave told us that uh, the first 11 chapters of Genesis really are like a prologue to the entire biblical narrative. So I want to take some time to just kind of review uh, the first 11 chapters. Uh, in Genesis 1, 1 and 2 God creates a good world and uh, he makes humans in his own image to care for his creation and to walk in his ways in Genesis 3 we see Adam and Eve uh, giving in to Satan's temptation to try to be like God and sin enters God's good creation and everything changes yet we see God still commissioning mankind to be stewards of his creation But human sin right away leads to things like murder and all kinds of other evils, which eventually leads to the flood. After the flood, we see the Tower of Babel, and we see God dispersing different nations of men all over the globe. Now, that's a lot of stuff, but it really all serves to set the stage for what we can consider the beginning of the story of God and his people in Genesis 12. So the main idea I want us to focus on today is God's covenant with Abraham was a promise to save you and me and his creation. This is God's solution to the mess that began in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve sinned. So, uh, who is this Abraham guy? Well, uh, originally he was called Abram. And when God uh, first approached Abram, he was most likely a a pagan who who knew little or nothing of God. Uh, The book of Joshua later on tells us that Abraham's father served pagan gods in the land of Ur. Uh, the land of Ur was somewhere in the region that uh, historians refer to as Mesopotamia, which would be uh, somewhere around modern-day Iraq or Syria. And the Bible doesn't really tell us a lot of information about uh, Abram's life up to this point, but in Genesis 12, God speaks to Abram and makes several promises that make up what we call the Abrahamic covenant. So, so what is A covenant. Well, the Hebrew word uh, covenant has several meanings. Uh, It could mean to eat with, which suggests uh, some sort of fellowship and agreement. Uh, It can mean to bind, which means commitment. It can mean to allot, which suggests sharing. So when God makes a covenant, he enters into an agreement to commit himself to give what he promises. Uh, A covenant is going to include two parties. In this case, we've got God on the one side, And we've got Abraham and all his descendants on the other. But the Bible places special emphasis on God's commitment and his promise to always be faithful to the covenant. Now, this is vital to understanding who God is and how he relates to us. Uh, God's faithfulness to the covenant is is quite different than how we typically understand and deal with contracts or agreements in our life. So think about when you enter into some kind of agreement, whether it's a, a formal contract Or uh, some sort of unofficial agreement. When we agree to say yes to someone, what do we focus on? In our culture, it's easy to focus on our rights. If we perceive that our rights were infringed, we demand adjustments to our agreement. Or as consumers, we enter into agreements every time we purchase things. Think about how quick we are to return items if they don't meet our expectations. The point is that we feel entitled to get something out of our agreements. If we don't see an advantage for ourselves, we typically say no. Or if things don't go well, we want out. Now, there's nothing wrong with trying to keep someone accountable for holding up their end of the bargain. But what we see with God's covenant is that God doesn't opt out when Israel abandons its obligation. So God willingly enters into a covenant with sinful people to whom he knows will prove to be unfaithful time and again. Yet we'll see that he is faithful to work through sinful humanity to rescue humanity. At this point in the story, when God calls Abram and makes a covenant with him, it's the beginning of the history of his saving work in which human sin, at this point, has not only been judged like it was in the flood or restrained as it was with the Tower of Babel, but at this point, the covenant... We see God offering forgiveness and restoration as he helps us overcome sin. So the first point about the covenant that I want to focus on, if you're taking notes, first point, God's covenant is a promise of grace. Uh, We can define grace as the unmerited favor of God toward man. The unmerited favor of God toward man. We often think of grace uh, in terms of salvation or Jesus' atonement in the New Testament And though that might be the greatest example of God's grace, we can't miss how God's grace permeates the entire biblical narrative and forms the basis of the covenant with Abraham from the very start. You see, Abraham was a sinner just like everybody else. And even uh, after the covenant was established, he continued to sin. Uh, And you can see this later in Genesis 12, when he engages in a deceitful scheme involving his own wife. Remember, Abraham was by all accounts a pagan who probably knew very little about God when he called him. So when it's all said and done, Abraham and the Israelites have more opportunity to learn God's ways and worship him than any other nation, but we see that they are just as corrupt and sinful as other nations. I like how Deuteronomy kind of describes God's grace to Israel and his faithfulness to them. Uh, Deuteronomy 7 says, "'The Lord did not set his affection on you,' talking to Israel,' and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples or more or stronger than other peoples for you were the fewest of all peoples but it was because the lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers the old testament narrative shows time and again how god is faithful to his promises to his covenant he's faithful in spite of abraham and israel's unfaithfulness so the covenant from the very begin, very beginning is a promise of grace Secondly, God's covenant is a promise to save the world. At first glance, it might seem strange or even unfair that God selects one obscure guy to be the father of a new nation or that he selects one nation to be his chosen people. It looks like God's promise of grace to Israelites reveals a lack of grace and love for other nations. Look at Genesis 12.3. He, God even says this, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. I mean, that kind of looks like God is arbitrarily choosing one nation to be blessed and then just cursing all others simply because they're not part of the right group. Um, in our modern vernacular, we would call this discrimination. Is this really how God works? You know, does, does he only love certain people that he's chosen or elected? What does this say about God? Well, we've already seen that Abraham was a pagan when he was chosen and that the covenant is completely based on God's grace. So I think we should ask ourselves, why does he choose one nation here in Genesis 12? Well, if we look again at, at Genesis 12:3, we can see God's intentions. Right after God says, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse He says, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Uh, One Bible commentary put it like this. God purposed through Abraham and his offspring to work out the destiny of the whole world. This was the point from the very beginning. The covenant does not represent a deal in which God bestows all his love to a chosen group of people and then rains down cursing and judgment on all those he didn't elect. Rather, we see the covenant represents God's plan to save the world. This is his way of fixing what happened back in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve sinned. So the whole point of God blessing Israel is so that they can bless others. So this this isn't discrimination. This this is grace. This is a grace-filled promise to bless all people no matter where they've come from or what they've done. So this covenant really it represents God's plan to equip and empower Israel to be his special vehicle of salvation for all people. One com- commentator put it this way, God's action proclaimed in the promise to Abraham is not limited to him and his posterity, but reaches its goal only when it includes all the families of the earth. And as we think about how all families of the earth could be included in the covenant eventually, it leads us to our third point. God's covenant is ultimately fulfilled by Jesus. So in an act of grace, God chooses Abraham and his family to be his vehicle to bless all peoples. But if you know your Old Testament, much of it traces Israel's unfaithfulness to God and even their apostasy. Okay, they not only disobey God time and again, they abandon him for other gods. So it's kind of hard to see how such a messed up people could be God's vehicle for rescuing the world. It's hard to see them fulfilling their mandate to bless others. They seem more focused in the Old Testament on tribalism, legalism, nationalism, greed. So this begs an important question. How is God to be faithful to his covenant and just in his dealings with all of creation. Remember, God, unlike us, is always faithful to his promises, but he is also just and holy. He doesn't ignore sin and corruption ever. To be truly just, he must confront and deal with sin. So when we fast forward and look into the New Testament, we can see Paul answering this difficult question. For Paul, it all comes down to the work of Jesus. God is faithful to his covenant because in Jesus, the Messiah, we actually see an Israelite who is faithful to God's purpose to be a blessing to all people. So, to put it simply, the answer is that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the covenant. Um, I want us to look at some verses from uh, Galatians 3. I think they're going to be on the screen here. And, and look at how Paul um, kind of sums up all of this. Okay? He says the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. So then those who have faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. In Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham comes upon the Gentiles. In other words, the non-Jews, the non-Israelites, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So Jesus, as the representative of Israel, perfectly fulfills the covenant promise to bless all peoples. Because of his sacrifice on the cross, any person of any nation can be forgiven and equipped to go and bless other people and act as conduits, uh, conduits of God's grace. One commentator put it like this. Early Christians, when they were thinking about these issues in this question, they believed that Israel's history had reached its in, intended fulfillment. They claimed to be the continuation of Israel in a new situation and to fulfill Israel's vocation on behalf of the world. I love how Rich Mullins puts it in one of his songs. He says, The old world started dying, and the new world started coming on. So I'll sing my song in the land of my sojourn. Now, try to wrap our minds around our role in this new world and our calling to bless others, or we could say our calling to live, love, and give like Jesus, I'd like to look at one of my favorite passages found in Luke 10. So in this passage... Uh, Jesus has been proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, and now he recruits 72 others to go out in pairs to proclaim the good news of the kingdom, to heal people, and to fight against evil forces. In other words, the covenant is being fulfilled. Jesus is saying, therefore, go out and spread the good news and bless others. So let me read uh, the first part of Luke 10. It says, after this, this is uh, Luke 10, verse 1, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others, And sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. All right, so we know that Jesus fulfills the covenant and he ushers in this whole new era. But does what we just, what, we, what I just read in Luke 10, does that really accomplish God's plan to fix the world? I mean, is this how he's going to take back his creation from Satan's grip? Is this how he's going to establish his kingdom? Is this how the covenant was supposed to work? I mean, we've got two by two going out and telling people. It almost seems kind of like a letdown, you know, if this is what the whole Bible has been waiting for, the whole biblical narrative. But look at the reactions of the disciples and Jesus when they returned. I think this is on the screen. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus replied, I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. And then look what he says here. He turns to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. So, this was it. I mean, this was the fulfillment of the covenant God had made with Abraham so many years before that. This was the part of the story that Abraham and all the subsequent prophets had been anticipating. So, we have to ask ourselves uh, here in, in 2016 a very important question. You know, do we live each day with an appreciation for how we live in God's new world and that all the prophets from Abraham to John the Baptist had been looking forward to this and preparing God's people for this, for, for where we live, right here, right now? Do we grasp how important the fulfillment of God's covenant is to our daily lives and to the world? Sometimes I feel like Christians can be a lot like kids at Christmas. Kids can't wait for Christmas morning to open all their gifts. And even if they get the best gift they could ever imagine, what happens a couple days later? They move on to something else. You know, it's, it's like uh, the gift never happened. And uh, maybe I, it's not fair to just say that about kids. Right? Some of us have already moved on from our toys from Christmas. Um, or it makes me think of the movie Unbroken, or, or the book. I choose to watch the movies, but uh, either way. Um, The main character in this story spends 47 days in the middle of the ocean in a little raft after his plane goes down during World War II. Then he gets captured and spends years in a a Japanese POW camp, often getting beaten and barely surviving. Eventually, the war ends, and then he returns home. But imagine if he had heard that the war was, was over and that the Japanese surrendered and that he and all the other POW POWs no longer had to stay in the prisoner camp. But then he didn't tell anyone or do anything about it. You know, what if he celebrated that good news in in a personal way, just with himself, and then went on living the same way as a prisoner and failing to bless his fellow prisoners with the news? You know, we really can't afford to take for granted that our King, Jesus, has finished his redeeming work by dying on the cross and raising to new life. That we live right here, right now, in a new era where we've already been set free. But when we at Waukee Community Church engage in following God's spirit in our daily lives, with an excitement for the victory of God's new world, just keep in mind, to me this is really exciting we are participating in what the prophets and kings of long ago yearned to see so therefore in closing remember that God continues to always be faithful to his promise to save his creation and that that plan involves you and me remember we've been blessed to be a blessing Jesus said that we are the light of the world This is God's way of bringing his love and grace into the world. It's through us, the church. And as we try to live love and give like Jesus, and as we read God's word, let us remember and see the connections between God's promises way back in the Old Testament and the major cosmic implications of those promises being fulfilled in the New Testament. Each day, let's try to meditate on that and rejoice in that good news. Let's pray. Lord, Lord, we thank you that we can gather together as, as the people of God, as the family of God. We thank you that you have been faithful to your covenant, that this involves your grace, not something we've earned, that you have done this by becoming a man that you died on the cross and that you rose again so that you could bring in your new creation. And we thank you that you've chosen to use us even though we continually mess up, even though we fall short. But Lord, you're at work here in Waukee. You're doing great things in our church, and our community. And as we participate in those things, as we bless others because of your blessing in us, let us remember that this is the day that the kings and the prophets of long ago yearned to see.